Our scripture reading for the New Testament this morning is from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Be glad in the Lord always. And again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God, which exceeds all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and on all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Charles told me not to worry about my zipper not wanting to go up because y'all can't start without me. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. All right. Lord, I'm counting on you, and you're counting on me. What are you thinking? When our son was about in middle school, Sam, growing up here in Baldwin County, one day he was watching TV, and he had a Swiss Army knife. Now, a Swiss Army knife and a middle school boy are dangerous things. But Sam had the remote control in his hand and was mindlessly notching out every button on the remote control. Lee discovered the damage, and it didn't take long to figure out who the culprit was. And he went to Sam and held up the remote control and said, what were you thinking? Did you think I wouldn't see this? When we need to be asked, what are you thinking? Usually we're not thinking at all. I want to share with you today about how important it is what we think. My own life experience has raised my awareness the past few years as I've struggled with what I was thinking. I'm learning to think better, differently, and it's brought some good changes in my life. I'm learning to think better but I'm not fixed yet, but I'm in progress, and it's good progress. And I'm hoping that this will be a practical help for you too. Our thoughts are important because they influence our feelings, and they're important because our feelings influence our thoughts, and our feelings and thoughts together both influence our mood, our actions, our health, and moment by moment shape our very lives. What thoughts do you let occupy the real estate in your head? The things that we allow ourselves to think either make our life better or worse. In the Bible, words that are translated salvation in our Bible that we read, both those words from the original language mean change, 
one of our favorite words. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for salvation is rethink. I just love that. Salvation is in changing the way we think and what we think about. Salvation involves rethinking. The New Testament teaches us that salvation comes from repentance. And the Greek word means turn around and go the other direction. Go back to God. When we repent, it means that we're truly sorry and we regret the former way we were thinking and we change directions and go to God. The most common malady of our human thinking is worry. The Bible calls worry a sin because it involves a choice not to trust God. Worry is a choice. Worry is a temporary concern, but it can escalate into anxiety. And anxiety is having frequent to constant thoughts, even about concerns that are not realistic. It can compromise our ability to function. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health concern in the United States. 40 plus million people, adults, and 7% of children aged 3 to 17 battle anxiety. There are even products marketed for our pets' anxiety, thunder blankets and whatever. We have worry and anxiety because of what we allow ourselves to think. The good news is that we can take charge of our thoughts and learn new ways of thinking. I think that's a great hope, that we can change our thinking. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, take everything, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, science is a discipline that God created. And scientists have discovered that in the center of our skull, there is a tiny almond-shaped part of our body hidden deep be behind, at the bottom of our brain called the amygdala. Like Micah's reference to the shortest books in the Bible, it's tiny but mighty. Neurologists and psychologists have studied the amygdala's function for the last couple of decades. They didn't even know it was there before that. And our creator designed this amygdala to register our emotions, particularly fear, as a protective mechanism. The great memory tool protects us and imprints our nervous system to be on alert when we feel we're in danger. Medically, this is called neuroplasticity. The feelings are the very same when we're threatened another time in danger. Even when it's a totally different situation, the same feelings come back. For instance, if there's a person in our life, a parent, a teacher, a spouse, a bully at school, someone who's got unpredictable rage or is consistently critical, however that person vents their negative emotions towards us, causes our own emotions to be on alert, ready to protect ourselves. If you've had someone in your life that yelled at you repeatedly, your emotions were imprinted to be on alert in self-defense when anyone raises their voices or speaks emphatically to you. The feeling that you're being threatened is real, whether you're really being threatened or not. Have you ever greeted someone and had them go ballistic on you? 
You feel like that cartoon character whose head spins around in surprise and disbelief? You sure didn't see that one coming. Whatever's going on with them is because of what they were thinking before you got there. They may feel threatened by you for some reason, absolutely anything. They may feel threatened by something that just has been said or done in the past. You may just remind them of something in the past. And the issue may not even be caused by you or about you at all. So how do we figure it out? They may have imposed meaning on your actions that you never even intended. They may have assumed that your motive was to hurt them. That thinking is not based on the truth. It's only based on thoughts. They were upset before you even talked to them because of what they were thinking. Something reminded their emotions of another time that they were hurt and that alert state of being stressful when we feel like we're in a similar place to that time that we were vulnerable and hurt in our past. Our amygdala signals us to be on alert and we feel that same anxiety in our body. We may experience a combination of symptoms. You'll see some of them in the handout there. Um, Adrenaline pumps, breathing is shallow, vision narrows in to focus. We feel apprehension or dread, expecting the worst, watching for danger, becoming tense or jumpy or restless or irritable. We've all experienced this at some time. The physical symptoms are a racing heart, shortness of breath, sweating, tremors, twitches, headaches, fatigue, insomnia, upset digestive tract, self-harm, picking at skin, biting the mouth. This is not the peace and joy that God intends for us. Worry and anxiety are nothing new. Let me give you a couple of worry examples from the Bible. Daniel had a bad dream about a four-headed, many-horned monster. And Daniel said, now this causes me to worry. My thoughts disturbed me greatly. My mood darkened considerably, and I kept thinking about this matter. Then I was overwhelmed and felt sick for days when I finally got up and went about the king's business. I remained troubled by the vision and couldn't understand it. Now, I want to put this in perspective for you. This is the guy that had peace in the lion's den but couldn't sleep because of his dream and what he was thinking. It unnerved him and it made him physically sick. Now we know that Job, bless his heart, really did have all kinds of troubles and problems, but he couldn't sleep because of his thoughts. Job said, if I lie down and think, when will I get up? The night drags on and restless thoughts fill me until dawn. We've all heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and it's based on the neuroplasticity that's imprinted on the amygdala of these soldiers that have been through traumatic war situations. And therapy is teaching them to rethink so that when they hear those same sounds that are triggers, they learn to think different thoughts instead of going straight to fear. And they learn to re-imprint the nerves in their brain. Isn't that amazing? I just think that's fantastic that God created us so wonderfully that 
if we've got something that's really inhibiting us, we can change. The new situation that the soldier goes through may or may not actually bring harm, but in self-defense, that amygdala is gonna pull up a memory of feelings in a similar situation. Now, I wanna give you some examples uh, to make you aware of some of the problems in our thoughts to help you trade those problems for healthy, godly thinking. These are things that help me and I hope will help you too. Thought problems. Sometimes we make up what we think other people are thinking, usually out of our own fears, like being taken advantage of or not liked or some other fear that we already have. Is it possible to know another person's thoughts? No. Thank you. No, it is it. And this is my husband, so of course he knows that. Uh, it's impossible to know another person's thoughts. Abraham tried to second guess what someone else was thinking. He told Abimelech that Sarah, his wife, was his sister. He was afraid to tell the truth that she was his wife because Abraham thought, the men living here are gonna kill me to get Sarah because she is so beautiful. Instead, Abimelech was insulted that Abraham didn't tell him the truth. And in this deception, this lie, Abraham took a chance of Abimelech getting interested in his unavailable wife. Besides us imposing what we think we know someone else is thinking, another unhealthy thought is, what if? What if something happens? What if a tree falls on my house? What if this bridge collapses while I'm going across it? That's catastrophic thinking and it's based in a lack of trust. What if someone thinks something untrue about me? Fear of someone else's power over your reputation. What if they're mad at me? Are you mad at me? What if I hurt their feelings? The dysfunctional past of unpredictable blow-ups puts our emotions on alert all the time. And I can tell you, it's exhausting. These what-if anxieties come out of fear about what might happen, not even about what is. I can tell you, in this life, people will think untrue things about you, more than once. But God promises to be our advocate, our lawyer, and the truth eventually comes out in the open. How wonderful it is when God has someone speak up for you as your advocate, and when someone else had painted a false picture of who you are and about your character. The thought problems come from guessing someone else's thought, what ifs, and a third one, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Living in the past, not being fully present, berating ourselves with negative thought. When you make a mistake, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, I never get it right. Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, what's the matter with me? Do you ever think that? Or is it just me? I encourage you to find a mantra. A mantra is words that are a tool to influence your thoughts. Select some godly words to repeat to yourself to help you think differently about yourself. The healthiest thoughts that I know are to focus on who God is, and what God does. For me, unhealthy thoughts are when I focus on or try to figure out what somebody else is thinking about me, if I offended someone, if I missed a note playing the piano and I wasn't perfect, or about what I can't do or I didn't do. 
God calls us to do our best. Thank goodness he doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to move towards it, but we don't have to expect that from ourselves. We just offer God our best. That sure takes the pressure off, because that's all I can do is my best. I can't be perfect. Now, I'm preaching this to all of us. Oh, I want to tell you, on the back of that uh, handout is my mantra that I'm sharing with you in the box on the back. On the back. I am yours and you are mine. Do not fear, I am the Lord. You are enough. With me, you are more than enough. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. When I'm worried about something, this is my little go-to. And these are the words I sent to my sister before she went to a job interview this week. Focus on who God is and what he can do. Replace the self-hate thoughts with God's ability and focus on the truth about what you can do and the people who do love you. If you can't think of anything, you can always fall back on the sure truth. You are precious to God. Will you say with me, I am precious to God. I am precious to God. Sometimes that's hard for us to even grasp. Let's compare the thoughts of two women in the Bible in unusual circumstances when they were told they were going to have a baby. First, there's Sarah. She overheard God's messenger tell her husband that they were going to have a child in their old age. Now, they were already 90. And I think this is a pretty logical response. Sarah said, she laughed and said, no way, that can never happen. My body's dried up and look at him. Not these bodies, we're too old. The second messenger, many years later, was the messenger Gabriel, who came to the young teen Mary, and he told her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Now Mary had a question about how could that happen since she didn't have a husband to father a child, and the angel reminded her, nothing is impossible with God. God would take care of it by his Holy Spirit. And Mary said, let it be for me, just like you've said. I think that's one of the most powerful confessions of faith in the Bible. Let it be for me, just like you've said, God. So Sarah looked at herself and focused on her body's inability, and God's plan still came to pass, and Isaac was born in their 90s. And Mary put her thoughts on God's ability, not the situation. She trusted that God would make it happy because she believed nothing is impossible with God. And God's plan came to pass for both of these women, and Jesus was born to Mary. Do you think about your own inability to fix the situation, or do you think about what God can do? Does negative self-talk fill your thoughts, or do you think about who God is and what God can do? Nothing is impossible with God. Think about something you've been anxious about. Now, I just told you that was sin, but I'm telling you just for illustration's sake. Think about something that you've been anxious about, and if you trust in who God is and what God can do, is there anything to be anxious about? Thank you. He's memorized all his lines. A few examples of wrong thinking from Deuteronomy 8. I did this with my own strength and ability. 
When we give ourselves credit instead of remembering that God gives us life and breath and strength and ability and we would do nothing without him. Psalm 10, the wicked with anger don't seek God. They're always thinking, there's no God. I'll never stumble. God's forgotten. God's hidden his face. God never sees anything. They think that God won't find out. Jeremiah, do you really think the Lord was unaware of what you were up to? Don't you think the Lord knew? Isaiah, doomed to those who think of themselves wise or clever. You didn't stop and think to consider the outcome. Now a few examples of right thinking. Psalm 119, Lord, I think about your rules for actions and I examine your paths. Lord, I love your instruction. I think about it constantly. Through the night, I think about your word. Proverbs, the virtuous think about the path ahead. That eliminates shoulda, woulda, coulda. Some of those who think that they are holy haven't even washed off their own filth. It had a worse word there and I've softened it. Jeremiah set up markers and put up signs. Think about the road you've traveled, the path you've taken. Return, Israel. Turn around and come back to me. Repent. Rethink. Come back to God. This is one of the more colorful ones. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul instructs the church to be adults in their thinking. You know, I had no idea how much the Bible says about thinking and thoughts and the mind. I was going to give you a handout of the scripture, but it was 12 pages. I wasn't going to do that. If you want it, I'll be happy to send it to you or tell you how to search for it. Brothers and sisters, this is Paul talking now. Don't be like children in the way you think. Well, be babies when it comes to what you know about evil, but be adults in your thinking. Paul sees that the church has a problem with Christians who haven't matured in their thoughts and actions. Baby Christians waddle around in a dirty diaper, making the church a stinking place. Paul said, be mature, grow up. The Bible gives instructions about maturing, about being intentional in our thoughts, to keep changing for good and not staying the same. We need to ask ourselves, have I changed for good? Have I transformed to be more like the image of Jesus? There is such great hope for us in knowing that we don't have to keep suffering on that squirrel cage of anxious thoughts and the anxiety that they bring. We can change. We can program our thoughts. A last scripture. Ephesians 4, 17 and 23. So I'm telling you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You shouldn't live your life like heathens anymore. They base their lives on pointless thinking. Instead, renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit. So God's even promising to help us with the Holy Spirit's power so that we can learn to rethink. And last week we talked, well, one more scripture again. Last week we talked about the greatest commandment. And Micah quoted Matthew 22 to us. But listen to it again. Jesus said the most important commandment is Israel, listen, our God is the one Lord and you must love the Lord with all your heart and all your being and all your, George, all your mind and with all your strength. 
The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, Jesus is telling us that one of the ways that we love God is with our mind, with what we think, and the actions that result from, from these thoughts. If we are thinking demeaning, critical, hateful thoughts about ourselves, then how can we love our neighbors ourselves if we aren't even loving ourselves? Our hope is God who created that tiny little almond of an amygdala. God created our mind with the neuroplasticity to reprogram, to learn new ways to think, to know salvation in the process of rethinking, and to free us to serve God in joyful obedience. Thanks be to God. <laughs>